with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, right? So right there towards the middle of the Bible. Uh, when you get to Psalms, hang a right, and you'll find it pretty soon. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Well, I think Adam mentioned earlier, we're starting a brand new series today entitled Eternity in the Balance. And uh, today is the very first message out of this series that will span for a few weeks. And uh, we're going to be looking primarily at what the Bible says about heaven and what the Bible says about hell. One, a very, very comfortable subject, one that's enjoyable, one that we anticipate, right, and we look forward to. The other, one that is not as comfortable, one that makes us squirm, right, one that uh, we don't often hear messages about that particular topic, uh, and yet the Bible does have some things to say about it. And so looking at those two topics, heaven and hell, what Scripture has to say, and then also looking at the huge implications. I mean, there are gigantic implications that come out of what the Bible says about heaven and about hell specifically and about eternity in general. And so we're going to be unpacking a lot of that, looking at, looking at the truth of Scripture and then looking at the implications, what that means to us. Because I would say virtually every single message, there's going to be a, a decision that we have to make. Uh, I mean, you cannot look at a topic like this, eternity, as it hangs in the balance for, uh, for everyone who's ever been created. You cannot look at a topic like that and then go away without having to make some form of a decision about what you're going to do regarding what you just heard. And so uh, for a few weeks, we're going to move through this series, Eternity in the Balance. And here's what I Here's what I hope you'll do. I hope you'll be here every Sunday. I know there are times where you have to be out of town or there's just a, you know, you just cannot be here for whatever reason. If that's the case, these messages will be on our website and you can stay up to speed on those. And, um, and then I would also ask if you would just invite folks to come. This is the very first message in the series, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be behind, right? You don't want to wait till the next series to jump in. So invite folks that you, uh, that God puts on your heart that you feel can benefit from a series like this. And if you've been here for a while, you know, when I go through a series, I always spend the first two or three minutes of every message, kind of rehashing what we already covered, hitting the high points. And so no one is ever really behind. Um, and uh, so I really, really want you to invite folks to come, again, because of the importance and the value of what we're going to be looking at through this series, Eternity in the Balance. It seems like eternity is a subject that our media and our culture is fascinated with. I mean, there are books there are songs, there are movies, uh, there are TV shows where it seems as though through just for years and years and years, there has been a fascination really about the subject of eternity. I mean, no one's going to make a movie and spend the millions of dollars it takes to build that budget. No one's going to write a book and spend the countless hours for writing it and then promoting it and publicizing it. No one's going to put together a TV show, write a song, unless they're going to do that in a way that's going to hit some form of a niche. And for every book that gets written and every song that gets written and every TV series that comes out and every movie that gets made that has anything to do with eternity, the reason for that is because our culture knows that that subject is fascinating to a degree. Just absolutely fascinating. So many songs have been written about the topic of of eternity uh, uh, that, that seems as though it goes years and years and years, decades back, and still continues to happen today. Eric Clapton years ago. 15, 20 years ago, I guess, wrote a song uh, titled Tears in Heaven, and it was about, I believe, if I remember the story correctly, his son who had passed away, and he wrote that song as somewhat of a version of his understanding of what heaven would be like, and he asked some questions. Will you know my name in heaven? Uh, will it be the same in heaven? I'll spare you. It sold, uh, sold many, 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 many copies. Why? Because it struck a chord. There was a fascination that was there. How many of you play the guitar? Any of you guitar players, fledgling guitar players, right? What's probably the first song you learn? Stairway to Heaven, right? Everybody wants to learn to play that. You know, when they get a guitar, they're just suddenly in the first 10 minutes wanting to be proficient at playing that Led Zeppelin song, right? It's a Stairway to Heaven. I'm pretty sure they were probably 
having had maybe ingested a few things, smoked a few things before they wrote this song, possibly, I'm not sure, not a songwriter, but if I wrote one, I wouldn't write it like that. But anyway, uh, the guitar part sounds really, really cool, I have to say. But uh, it's about a lady, right, who uh, was looking to buy a stairway to heaven. The rest is up to your imagination as it was to theirs, I suppose. So, you know, song that sold a ton of copies, people still learn to play it today, right? So many songs. Movies that have come out, right? Uh, I remember... Uh, there are movies I've seen that I, still, I saw the movie and then it just goes away. I don't remember much about it. One of those movies for me was Ghost. Any of you see Ghost back in the day? All you ladies are like, oh, Patrick Swayze was in Ghost. Yeah, and uh, I know, I know. And so uh, 1990, that movie came out. That's one of those movies. I, don't re- I saw it and I forgot like everything. Something to do with a pottery wheel somewhere in there. I kind of have a vague recollection of that. That's about it. I hope that wasn't a bad part of the movie because I really don't remember. But uh, the basic story was Patrick Swayze played a part of a guy who, uh, who was murdered, I believe, if I remember correctly. And then he became this disembodied spirit who just sort of roamed the earth, right? And uh, ultimately, you know, the whole story, the whole movie gets built around that, but that was kind of the gist of the whole thing. The producers of that film, right, they knew that was going to sell. They knew there was a fascination with eternity, right? And so they put together their own version of what eternity must look like as it played out in the characters of that particular movie. I'm certainly not saying it's biblical, right? I'm not saying it lines up with Scripture, but it is a reminder that there is a fascination with the subject of eternity. Books that have been written. I went to Barnes & Noble last night, not for this reason. I didn't go for sermon preparation. Uh, Drew wanted to go to Barnes & Noble, so we went. And uh, he was looking around his section, and I went to the section that was, I don't remember what the heading was, uh, if it was Christianity, it was wrongly categorized, maybe religion would have been better. But the section where a lot of the Christian books are, and I, and I did think about this series because I was going to be preaching it in, in just a matter of hours. And I thought, how many books here are about people who died and went to heaven? All right? They wrote a book about it, you know, they, they got their visual image and they came back and supposedly and wrote their book. You know, how many books are like that? I counted 10 on about two shelves of books of people's stories who have died and, and supposedly either went to heaven or went to hell and uh, came back to life and then they wrote about it and probably sold a bunch of books. One of those books is called Heaven for Real. It came out in 2010, became a movie and then like a, I think another book and another book and, um, and, and so it was a, this, this drawn out story. 10 million copies, over 10 million copies of uh, Heaven is for Real were sold in just under four years and uh, just a huge, just blockbuster, really. I mean, so many people snapped up that book and went to that movie. Another one that I didn't even know about, one of our staff mentioned this week, called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, uh, also written in 2010. And uh, some of you that are familiar with that one, it was a a boy who was in an automobile accident. His name is Alex Malarkey. And ultimately, his story is that he passed away, went to heaven, and basically came back again. And a book was written well, he came out after basically saying the whole thing was just uh, fiction. I mean, it didn't happen. He said, I didn't die. He said, I didn't go to heaven. He said, and um, the, all of it is untrue, and the Bible uh, is true and is sufficient, so read it. That was pretty much his synopsis of the whole, the whole deal, and uh, that, that book was taken off of many bookshelves. I don't even know if you could find it on a bookshelf. I'm sure you could order it perhaps if you wanted to, but it's just a reminder of the fascination that our culture has with the topic of eternity, right? It's not always lined up with Scripture. In fact, often it's not. And I would say, as a, uh, this book is not, or rather this sermon is not about books written about heaven, but I would say 
that you do already have a book written about heaven. Every bit of it is true, and it is trustworthy, and you can build your life around what it has to say. Uh, I would say if you do read other books, and this is purely my opinion, you can, you can disagree if you'd like, and that'd be okay, um, but I would say no real reason to read those other books about people who said they went and came back uh, unless you just want to read a story that you can't necessarily trust every detail. One of those books, by the way, was written on the account of a four-year-old, right? In fact, I think it was Heaven is for Real, four-year-old who went and came back and gave a story. I've had three four-year-olds in my family, right? And um, I, I wouldn't write a book as purely truth about things they said when they were four years old. <laughs> so I'm sure you feel the same about your kids and maybe your grandkids as well. So, uh, so just be very, very careful. So here, here's the thing. I think I'm going to give you four principles today. I usually only do one, maybe two, but four today. And what we're going to do in this series as we look at what Scripture says about heaven and about hell and about eternity is we're going to build on what we look at today. So I'm going to throw about four different points, if you want to call it that, or four different talking points we're going to build on. Uh, and the first one is this, that we cannot escape the concept of eternity. It is impossible for us to escape the concept of eternity. We cannot block it out. We can try to run from the concept of eternity. We can try to drown it out. We can try to dis- uh, distract ourselves. But we cannot escape the concept of eternity in our lives. Every single time you step foot in a hospital, you are reminded of eternity. Every single time that you and I attend a funeral, we are reminded of eternity. Every time that we visit hospice, every time that we visit a cemetery, every time that we go to a nursing home, every time that we hear an ambulance, every single time those things happen, it is a reminder It is a reminder that we cannot escape this concept of eternity. It is out there, and we have to deal with it. And there are times in our lives, I've done many, many funerals, and there are times as I preach someone's funeral that you can see in the audience, right, the congregation, you can see people that are just trying to distance themselves and numb themselves to the concept of eternity, arms crossed with a look on their face that says, I am not going to listen, and I'm not going to deal with this. But we cannot escape the concept of eternity. And those funeral homes and those cemeteries and those hospices and those ambulance sirens all grab us by the back of the neck and force us to deal not just with eternity, but with eternity as it relates to us specifically. We can try to numb it, we can try to distract ourselves, but we have to deal with this concept that the Bible makes very, very clear called eternity. And let me say, there is an enemy who is alive and active, and he will do everything he can to try to make you think eternity is not a big deal. He will do everything he can to try to make you and I think that eternity is not that big of a deal, or we can deal with it somewhere later down the road, right? Uh, Eternity at times, heaven, hell dealt with, you know, jokes that are told and things that are done to just kind of downplay them and even mock and make fun. I remember a bumper sticker Years ago, um, what was it it said? Uh, heaven didn't want me and hell was afraid I'd take over, right? You see the bumper sticker and some old boy put that, put that on his truck thinking, yeah, this is a good bumper sticker, $1.99, you know, Circle K, I'm going to put this on my truck and people are going to laugh, you know? It's not a laughing matter because for many, many people, heaven and hell, eternity, hang in the balance. Hang in the balance. And when we balance what our concept is of eternity against what the Bible says, it is very, very, very serious. Every single day in this community, there are people who die and step out into eternity, many of whom are ready, many of whom are not. 
Every single day there are people around this world who step out into eternity and they realize that what the scripture says is true and there is no opportunity after that fact to prepare themselves based on what they then know. And the enemy does everything he can to try to downplay it, to try to distract us, and to try to steer us a different direction. Here's something that dawned on me through the course of this week as I was preparing this message. Uh, I, I thought about the whole concept of creation versus evolution. Some of you are really, really, uh, you know, you love to study that. You love to look at the facts of where science leads and where Scripture leads and where they intersect and where they go different, different paths. I won't get into all that today. I don't think this is the, the series to, to look to do that. But here's what crossed my mind. I, I thought about the whole evolutionary uh, perspective. Uh, 33% of Americans uh, hold as true um, that our lives as we know it came about by evolution. Uh, through natural selection. Not that God had a part in it at all, but 33%, one in every three Americans believe that you can just push God completely off the, off the, you know, to the margins, just remove him from the picture, and that we came about, and that we are who we are because of evolution through natural selection, the survival of the fittest, one in every three. Meaning that in our country, if, if you are one who holds to creation, let's just say that this is a microcosm of our country, right? Where you sit, if you hold to creation, then the person to your left and the person to your right believe otherwise. <laughs> they hold to a different perspective. Here's where I think I see the enemy at work in some of this. Not to say that the devil is behind every single rock, but I think he is alive and very much at work. Because if you hold to evolution, as one in three Americans do... And as you see it being kind of pushed through education systems virtually at every level, if you hold to evolution then, that, that we came about through natural selection, the survival of the fittest, there is no room for God in that picture. You pick him up and you take him not just off the page, you take him out of the book. And if you then remove an all-powerful, all-holy God out of the book, then there is no room then because there is no all-powerful, all-knowing, all-holy God. And if you hold to evolution and you've moved him out of the book, then why would you hold to any form of accountability to a whole all-powerful, all-holy God in any way at all? And if you do not hold to any type of accountability, then what on earth do you do with heaven and hell? I mean, there's no room for heaven and hell in the book either, so just move that off. And when we begin to stop and think, wait a minute, what is all this going on? That's not a message about evolution, but when we begin to look at where all this heads, and you begin to see that there is an enemy who is alive and who's at work trying to not just deceive, but to downplay the whole concept of eternity. To just move heaven and hell either off the table or push it to later, but we cannot escape the concept of eternity. And we're going to see why, because there's a scripture that's very, very clear in helping us to see how God puts it right there smack in front of us. There are three big questions, regardless of what one believes, that still linger and still beg for answers. Three big questions for every single person on this globe. Question number one, where did I come from? Question number two, why am I here? Question number three, where am I going when I die? Question number four, sorry, you thought you were about to die right there, right? Straight to number three. <laughs> Straight to question number three. Where did I come from? The world has a variety of answers. Various religions have varieties of answers of where we came from. The Bible answers that question, I believe, very, very clearly. Listen, Lord, look at what it says. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. 
You can jot it down, check it out on your own later. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. Look at what it says here. The psalmist is writing, and he's speaking to God, and he says, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Question number one, where did we come from? The Bible answers that question, not just here, but elsewhere as well. Very, very clearly, we came from our Creator. God created us and God formed us and he formed us uniquely and he created us, Genesis tells us, in his very image. And even though sin would mar the reflection in each of us of the image of God, we still find that we bear his image because we are creation from the hands of the creator. Question number two, why am I here? Scripture answers that question very clearly as well. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, look at what it says here. Also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose. We who have been created have also been predestined according to his, our creator's purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Question one, where do we come from? We came from our creator, God himself, revealed in scripture. Question two, why are we here? We're here ultimately to bring glory to our creator as we follow his plan and his purpose for our lives. Question number three then, where are we going when we die? Does God have any answer to that question? All religions seem to have an answer to that question. What about God? Absolutely he does. Look at what it says here in scripture out of Jesus's own mouth in Matthew chapter 7 he says enter then through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life there are two contrasts there is a way that leads to destruction there is a way that leads to life there is a broad gate leading to a broad path there is a narrow gate leading to a narrow path and he says there are few who find it obviously elsewhere in scripture as we'll move through this series we'll look at some of this there is an expansion of what the bible says about heaven there is an expansion of what the bible says about hell but god's answer to the question then the third big question where am i going when i die god says there are one of two places and your choice has a lot to do with that one of two places either heaven which described in scripture very briefly here described as a place that is eternal a place that is literal a place that inhabits the very presence of God, a place of great joy and a place of healing and a place where pain is healed and, and where sorrow is, is ceased, a place in the presence of God. Uh, uh, he doesn't give us answers to every question, but that's how heaven is described. Or a place called hell, a place that is also dealt with very literally in Scripture, a place that Scripture de defines in very, very clear terms, a place that is eternal, but a place where the presence of God is totally and completely absent. The Bible tells us very, very clearly that there is only one narrow way to the place that God has prepared for those who know Him. And that narrow way is not found in any other religion. It's not found in any specific book outside of Scripture. It's only found through a relationship with Christ. So here, here's the tension. Here, here are the questions. When we think about heaven, when we think about hell, our minds begin to run. And I think that's not a bad thing. That's nothing wrong with that. As long as we find the answers in the right place. For me, I've got a mother who's in heaven. I've got a father who's in heaven. I know why they're there because of the decision they made about Jesus. 
my mind runs just like yours. I remember leaving a cemetery years ago. My dad's been leaving a cemetery. I didn't, I didn't do the service, but I went for a friend, uh, someone here in our church. And I remember leaving the graveside, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of missing my dad. Still get that. I'm really thankful for those times. And uh, as I walked away from that cemetery, from that graveside, walking back to my truck, I remember praying, God, I don't know how this works. And I don't know how it all plays out. And I don't even know if this is right, but if it's okay, if you can just tell my dad I love him, just let him know. The Bible doesn't answer every question. Can those in heaven see us today? I don't know. The Bible gives some indication. We'll cover some of that. Do those in hell understand what's going on on this earth today? I don't know. The Bible gives some indication. We'll cover some of that. I mean, do, do, do they recognize what's taking place here? Are we going to know one another in heaven? Are we going to recognize people by their face? I mean, am I, am I going to look better than I have on my time on earth when I'm in heaven? I mean, that could be a good thing. You know, I, the Bible doesn't answer every one of those questions. Some of them it does, and a lot of them it doesn't. However, the simple truth is that we can't escape the concept of eternity. Principle number two, and I hope you'll jot this one down as well, is that God plants the concept of eternity within each and every one of us. It's God himself. How can he do this? Because he's our creator. <laughs> when the creator, you create however you desire. And God created us. We'll see this in a passage of Scripture in just a moment. God has created us in such a way. Let's just use the word hardwire, all right? Not to try to diminish how, God's, how God has created, but let's just say he's hardwired in every single one of us this concept of eternity, that you have it within you, I have it within me. Those scattered across this globe in the deepest, darkest, most remote places on this planet have the concept of eternity that has been created specifically within them. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes. Here's the passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now verses 1 through 10, you may be familiar with this passage. Verses 1 through 10 is where it says there's a time uh, for everything, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. That, that's kind of what the first 10 verses of Ecclesiastes 3 are. Look at what it says then in verse 11. This is the context. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, written by Solomon. He says, he has made everything, he, meaning God, has made everything appropriate in its time. Look at the highlighted portion that I highlighted. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Now, I know the part after the highlight is a little confusing, let me just break it down as to how I feel like this is best explained. The part after the highlights, yet so that man will not find out from the beginning which God has done from the, from the beginning to the end, I believe is simply communicating to us that God hasn't unveiled every detail of life, neither here nor in eternity for us. The Bible would be too large for you to carry much less could fit even inside this building if he told us everything about life on this earth and eternity to follow. God has not given us every detail. We don't know. Even if we memorize the whole entire 66 books of the scriptures, we do not know every detail from beginning to the end of human history as we know it yet to come. God doesn't give us all those details. He hasn't fine-tuned what he's shown us to that degree. However, he has set within the heart of every single person this concept of eternity. It's why in, in, in the deepest, darkest parts of this, of, this, uh, uh, of this planet, right, missionaries can go into a jungle and they can encounter people bringing the message of the gospel. For the first time, those people have ever heard the message 
of the gospel. They've never had any outside influence. They've never been exposed to the things that we're exposed to daily. And those missionaries will come in and they'll begin to, to open up scripture and teach them about God, teach them about Jesus. And what they find are people that are already engaged in worship. They're already worshiping something. They're worshiping maybe uh, animals. They're worshiping the spirit world. They're worshiping dead ancestors, right? They're worshiping something. Why? Because in their heart, just as your hunger leads you to food, just as your thirst leads you to something to drink, in their heart, God has planted eternity according to this passage. And the problem is, is that our enemy, Satan himself, continually tries to counterfeit the truth. But we are hardwired to worship. Why? Because God, our creator, made us that way. And as this passage says very clearly, he has put the whole context of eternity deep within every single one of us. Every one of us. Why is this? Why does God do that? Principle three, because everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Everyone. I will. You will. Your kids will, your grandkids, your cousins, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, your co-workers will spend eternity somewhere. Your neighbors, people that you meet as you navigate the circles of daily life are going to spend forever somewhere. God plants within us the concept of eternity to drive us to the truth. God plants with us the concept of eternity to drive us to our creator who has revealed himself most clearly through his son, Jesus. Spending eternity with God doesn't happen because we have an intellectual assent to the truth of scripture. Oh yeah, I believe all that's true. Spending eternity with God in heaven doesn't happen because we choose to attend church or join a church or get baptized or give money. Spending eternity with God in heaven certainly doesn't happen because our good outweighs the bad. When you speak of eternity in the balance to most people with a religious mindset, their balance is my good deeds versus my bad deeds. God doesn't have a scorecard that works that way. God will give rewards in heaven to those who know him. Has nothing to do with whether or not we get there. God does not have a scorecard where he has kept track of your good so far today up to this point in life where he says, okay, you did 110 good deeds today, but you know what? You did 111 bad. All right, you better pick it up, buddy, tomorrow or else, you know, you're not going to make it. The guy doesn't work that way. It's not the scorecard he uses. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. And yet principle number four, your eternity ultimately is determined solely by your decision about Jesus Christ while in the balance. No other determining factor. For those that are in heaven today, it's because they made a decision consciously as an act of their will during their time on this earth to yield their lives to Jesus Christ. It's because they made a decision in their life, whether as a youngster or whether as an adult, they made a decision to ultimately lay down their sin that separates them from God that Jesus came to pay for. 
they laid that sin aside and they chose to yield their lives, to trust their forgiveness to the person of Jesus and what he did on the cross. The only reason they're in heaven today is because of what they did with Jesus, responding to the gospel through faith and repentance in Christ. To the adverse, right, those that are separated from God, those that are in hell today, is because they chose either to, to, to reject Christ as their way of salvation. They chose to trust in their good works, which were not enough, or they chose to reject Jesus in, in, uh, uh, ultimately so that they could be the master of their own life. And because they rejected Christ, ultimately then, they are paying for their sins themselves. The sobering reminder of heaven, we'll see this when we look through this, this series, the sobering reminder of heaven and hell is that we do not get a second chance after our life on this earth is done. We have this life alone to get it right. And literally, heaven and hell hang in the balance. Some who don't even realize, some who don't even realize it. Why is that important? One, because you don't want to miss it. <laughs> and two, what that does is it raises the urgency of us as followers of Jesus to boldly present the gospel to those that God brings across our path. Why? Because for them, heaven and hell, eternity hangs in the balance. Steve Jobs is largely known as the man behind Apple. Co-founder of Apple started out as just a very small enterprise, eventually has expanded ultimately to the place now where, this is just my guess, probably half or more people in here probably have an Apple device on you right now, right? Man, it's just that widespread. Hopefully you're not on it, right? <laughs> God's watching. <laughs> Steve Jobs, um, probably the greatest innovator, entrepreneur this world has seen, arguably. Apple grew to a worldwide, world-impacting empire. One of his comments, one of his quotes he's known for is, we want to put a ding in the universe. In a lot of ways they have, literally and figuratively. Steve Jobs contracted pancreatic cancer after battling it in the way that he felt was best. Ultimately, he passed away. 2011, Steve Jobs stepped out into eternity. Biography was written about him, I'm sure more than one, but the one kind of known as the official, so to speak, over 600 pages that was written about the life of Steve Jobs. And at the very end of that biography, it lists his final quote of that encompassing work describing his life. And it's interesting because in the final quote of this biography about Steve Jobs' life has nothing to do necessarily with his innovation, has everything to do with forever. Take a look at what the final quote of this book is from Steve Jobs' life while he stares death literally in the face before he would pass away. He says, I like to think that something survives after you die, he said. It's strange to think that you accumulate all this experience, maybe a little wisdom, and it just goes away. So I really want to believe that something survives, that maybe your consciousness endures, but on the other hand, perhaps it's like an on-off switch. Click, and you're gone. Maybe that's why I never like to put on-off switches on Apple devices. Isn't it funny that the Apple phone that you hold, your iPhone, any Apple device, for the most part, doesn't have the traditional on-off 
switch. In fact, when you turn it off, it doesn't really go off. It powers down. It goes to sleep. Steve Jobs had his view of eternity, oddly, right? He had this view of eternity, which in some ways was very, very correct, that when our eyes close in death, it does not end. That our eyes open on the other side, either in the presence of or the absence of God. In a lot of ways, this perspective is very, very hopeless, isn't it? But for those who understand that we're here because of a creator who made us in his image, who loves us to the fullest, who even in the midst when we had nothing to bring to the table to earn his favor or his goodness or his salvation, as an act of his goodness and kindness and love, he sent his own son, Jesus, to die in our place. So that all who choose to turn from our sin and invite this Jesus, God who came for us, to take over our lives, to forgive us and make us right, who follow him as Savior and Lord, that it's in that transaction when we take his righteousness in, expl- in exchange for our sin that God gives us a new heart and a new life to such a degree to where Nicodemus in John 4 could only describe it as saying it's like being born all over again. Your hope can be firm and steadfast and sure because of a relationship with Christ. If you have that relationship, you have nothing to fear. But you do have a very loud call to take the message that has changed you to those who need to hear. And if you've never given your life to Jesus today, hey, listen, you can chalk this up as a hellfire brimstone message if you want. You can chalk this whole series up to hellfire and brimstone message. If I can go home and lay my head down at night and say all I told was the truth and the rest is up to them and God, I feel I've done my job. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, there is no better time than today to say, Lord Jesus, my sin will never be paid unless I accept your payment. And as an act of my will today, the best I can, I invite you to come in and forgive me and take over. And he'll do it right where you sit. Your ticket is punched and your place reserved because of a decision you made about Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you created us with a concept of eternity planted deep within our hearts. Lord, many of us, it's easy to embrace and understand that because we remember when we were younger and there was something that just sort of woke up inside of us and we realized our need for Christ. And it was in that one motion that we laid down our sin the best we could. We haven't been perfect since then. But we didn't want sin to characterize us. And as we laid it down, we also invited you, Jesus, to to forgive us, to wipe the slate clean, and to be our Savior and our Lord. And Lord, it, it it all started because there was something that you created within us that designed us to long for you. God, I pray today for those that have never quenched that thirst and for those that have never satisfied that longing for life, that today they find it in Jesus. And that they would understand the fallacy that a career is somehow going to fulfill them or a new person or another marriage or accomplishing or acquiring something is going to fulfill them. That, 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 That they would see that it doesn't work that way. That what they need is a relationship with a God who made them that only comes when they accept and invite Jesus to forgive and 
and to save. And Lord, for those of us that have made that decision, I really pray in the course of this series, God, and even through the week, that we cannot escape that you're wanting to use us to share the message that changes everything, that you'd give us boldness and that this church would be diligent about sharing with love and compassion and even a tear in our eye the fact that that we need a relationship with Christ with those around us and Lord that we see many come to know you by placing their faith in Jesus and so Lord in a lot of ways it starts today so help us to meet Lord to meet your desires for us God with a life that's yielded and Lord may we follow you from today forward with open hearts, all in, that you might use us as you desire. Bless our decisions today, God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.